0: The scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here and to know that you've joined us, a bunch of you that have joined us online this morning. Welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Before we dive into the sermon this morning, I want to share something with you guys that I'm really excited about, and it has implications for me and my family and implications for you, and that is uh, beginning May 1st, I will be going on sabbatical. Uh, the, one of the, the policies of the church for years has been that every seven years, pastors on staff at IBC are given a three-month period to be away, to step out of ministry and just to cultivate a deeper life with Jesus. And, uh, and that's coming up for me, beginning May 1st. I, I tell you, looking back, um, it's been a, a-, a long stretch. Uh, you may not know this, but in 2019, I was actually scheduled to have a year-long sabbatical from my role at Dallas Seminary and my first three-month sabbatical here at IBC. And instead of doing that, I became the senior pastor. And so that was a pretty intense first year. Thankfully, year two, 2020, was kind of a breeze, right? And uh, so... We had this dilemma like, okay, where do we start my sabbatical clock counting seven years? And the elders said, how about from the time that you joined our senior leadership team, which would have been in 2016? And so that brings me to year seven this year and the opportunity to step away and take some time on sabbatical. I I heard a pastor that I admire talking about his time on sabbatical and he said, I really just needed a time just to be a Christian. And there was something about that that really resonated with me. I've been running pretty hard, pretty fast in ministry for a long time. And just an opportunity to step out, to just be a Christian, to focus on deepening my discipleship to Jesus, to focus on connecting more deeply with my family. And that really is what I'm uh, hoping for, what I'm praying for, and I would ask you to join me in praying that this would be a time that that would deepen my discipleship to Jesus. I'm not focused on coming back a, a better, stronger leader, a better, stronger pastor. I wanna come back a better, stronger disciple. And if I do... I believe I'll be a better, stronger leader and a better, stronger pastor. So would you pray to that end? Would you pray for me as I spend time connecting more deeply with my family that sometimes winds up getting what's left over when there's not a whole lot left over? And so would I really appreciate your prayers. If you wanna hear more about the plans around sabbatical, we spent some time talking about it on our forum podcast this week, so you can download that and take a listen. But I would really appreciate your prayers. I'll be back next week to preach my last sermon, and then I'll be going on sabbatical from there. All right, as we turn our attention now to the scriptures, would you join me for a word of prayer? Father, we uh, pause now to turn our hearts, our attention to you, expectant to hear from your word. So I pray that you would uh, speak to us. God, that you would use me, empowered by your spirit in these moments ahead, that each of us would hear what it is that we need to hear today. They would experience your, your challenge, your conviction, your encouragement, your hope. So we give this time to you now. Use it for your purposes and your glory. in Jesus name. Amen. I recently heard a story about a woman named Kathy who died in January of 2020 in Astoria, Oregon. She died in a warming shelter after spending her last days destitute. Homeless on the streets, the cold streets of uh, Astoria, Oregon. It was a tragic story, but the story gets even more tragic when you recognize uh, what was happening with her family, that her family had spent the last four years desperately searching, trying to find Kathy. They they had uh, contacted everyone who knew her, couldn't find her. They had put out ads in newspapers. They had even hired a private detective to try to find Kathy, and yet there, were, there was no sign of her. Um, part of the reason that they had reached out to try to find her in particular was to let her know that in 2016, four years earlier, her mother had passed away. But not only to let her know that her mother had passed away, but also to let her know that her mother had left her an inheritance of $884,407. Here's the tragic end to a life lived on the streets destitute all the while having unimaginable resources that she didn't even know that she had and she didn't know how to access. And what struck me about that story is the parallel between that and what sometimes is true of us who are followers of Jesus, who have trusted in Christ, and yet we can find ourselves living destitute spiritual lives. Uh, We can find ourselves living defeated spiritual lives Because there are resources, unimaginable resources that are available to us that we don't even know are there or we don't know how to access. And this morning, we're gonna be looking at a passage of scripture in Romans chapter eight that tells us about those resources that are available to us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in this passage, will say, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you. You have access to resources in the spiritual life through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that they're there? Do you know how to access them? You see, many times we live lives dominated by destructive patterns, broken relationships, crippling anxiety, hidden addictions, and just an absence of joy and meaning and purpose. We live spiritually destitute and defeated lives when all the while, God's presence and power is there for us to give our lives life and peace, resources for overcoming your past failures and hurts, resources to set you free from your compulsive behaviors, resources to resurrect your marriage. Our passage this morning says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you, inside of me. If we have trusted in Christ, So how do we live into that reality? We are in this series over the course of the Easter season called Never the Same. And it begins just with the recognition that it's easy for us to find ourselves living disenchanted lives, that we find ourselves not exactly who we wanted to be, not exactly where we wanted to be, that things haven't turned out exactly the way that we thought that they would. And we can live in that place of feeling stuck, feeling dispirited, feeling disenchanted. And yet, at the heart of the Christian story is an event that if it happened, has the power to change everything. That if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. If the tomb is empty, there is a power at work in the world that that can change things, change your life, change your future, change your destiny, change the world. And we're talking here in Romans chapter eight about how we access that power in our lives. This morning we're going to be talking about the idea of what it means for us to live lives, Paul says, governed by the Holy Spirit. Now if you're uh, new around church, you're, you're new to Christianity, you're just checking this out, you, you hear us talk about the Holy Spirit and that may sound strange and odd and you're not quite sure what to make of it. Well, at the heart of the Christian story is the belief that, at the, that the, the center of everything, the center of all reality is a relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And here in Romans chapter eight, you see all three persons of that triune God at work. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the personal empowering presence of God. And that those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the Spirit comes to take up residence in our lives with us everywhere we go. And this morning, looking at this passage, we're gonna talk about how we Walk by the Spirit, how we live lives governed by the Spirit. Last week, we looked at verses one through four of Romans chapter eight, this powerful truth about what's true, that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why it's true, for the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. How it's true, for what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son to be a sin sacrifice. And then in verse four, what all of this is true for, and we see there in verse four, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That all this, the purpose of all this is to enable us to live into God's expectations and desires for our lives, to live in that righteousness of God. And now we see Paul go into how that plays out in our lives. And as we look through this passage, I just want you to observe with me. Paul talks about about um, two kinds of people, he talks about two frames of mind, and then he talks about two forms of life. Two kinds of people, two frames of mind, two forms of life, and puts it before us to say, you choose. Which kind of person do you want to be? Which frame of mind do you want to embrace? Which form of life do you want to embody? You choose. Listen to what Paul says, beginning of verse 5. but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So Paul, through this whole section, talks about two kinds of people, those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Paul here is is describing uh, on the one hand, the, the, uh, the unbeliever and the believer, the, the regenerate and the unregenerate, those who have trusted in Christ and those who have not trusted in Christ, those who live by the Spirit and those who live by the flesh. When Paul talks about flesh here, he's not talking about our physical bodies, but he's talking about this life orientation, the basic orientation of the life of anyone who's not trusted in Christ, this basic orientation to live for themselves. That when Paul uses flesh, one scholar says it's the outlook oriented toward the self. It's life that's all about me, me, me. It's those animalistic kinds of appetites and, and desires inside every one of us for our own sense of satisfaction and pleasure. It's that orientation that we have towards my power, my control. It's life that's all about me, me, me. And this is the basic operating system of all of us who, before our our coming into faith in Christ. And yet, Paul also knows that those of us who are in Christ, who have the spirit in our lives, can easily find ourselves pulled back to a life lived under the domination of the flesh. That we can find our lives lived, turned in upon ourselves. Two kinds of people. Which one do you wanna be? You see, the, the basic problem with life in the flesh is that we love the things that we ought to hate and we hate the things that we ought to love. Right? There are things in our lives that according to God's desire and intention for us, we ought to hate and yet we love them and things that according to God's desire and intention we ought to love but we reject them, we turn from them, we hate them. And what Paul is saying here is that when God's spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives, he can change us so that we now love the things we used to hate and we now hate the things we used to love. The the simplest way I know how to illustrate this is with green beans and Brussels sprouts. Um, So, green beans, I used to love green beans. Green bean casserole, Uh, a number of years ago when I was in my 20s, I spoke at a church one weekend out in Tyler, Texas, and after the service they had a potluck supper. And green bean casserole, you know the one I'm talking about with the crispy onions on top? It's a staple in the the potluck suppers that I grew up with in church. And so somebody had brought the green bean casserole, and I loved that stuff. And so I put a big old pile of it on my plate, devoured it, and then I got in the car and began to head back to Dallas. And somewhere in between Tyler and Dallas, there along the interstate, I suddenly felt this wave of nausea coming over me. And I didn't have any time to do anything about it. And those green beans just came right back as I'm driving 75 miles down the freeway. And I'm telling you, that was the last time and will be the last time that I ever eat green bean casserole. You know what I'm talking about? I now hate what I used to love. But then there's Brussels sprouts. When I was a kid growing up, my dad would eat Brussels sprouts, and I just thought these are the most disgusting thing imaginable. They were like, the texture of them and the smell, the smell was awful. My dad would get frozen Brussels sprouts, and he would cook them in the microwave, and the whole house would just smell like the smell of Brussels sprouts. And we had this, this really just bad microwave that, that the, if the door was closed on the microwave, the microwave was on. The only way to turn the microwave off was to open the door. You had to crack the door. You can come to my house even to today and sometimes you'll find the door is cracked. I think it's because some of us lived for years with that microwave that if the door was closed, it was on. So my dad gets his Brussels sprouts one night, puts them in the microwave, closes the door, goes in the other room and gets distracted and forgets about his Brussels sprouts. And they caught on fire in the microwave. (laughs) I mean, Brussels sprouts, microwave Brussels sprouts smell bad enough by, their, by themselves, but then catch them on fire. It was awful. It was awful. I thought that's the most disgusting. And now I've become my dad. <laughs> I love Brussels sprouts. It's roasted with a little balsamic glaze. Ah, oh, I love these things, right? I now love what I used to hate. And of course, those are silly, trivial, non-spiritual examples of a deeper spiritual reality. That the problem for us, living life dominated by the flesh, is that we love things that we ought to hate, and we hate things we ought to love. But over time, the Spirit works in our lives to teach us to love the things we used to hate and to hate the things we used to love. As Christians, we continue to struggle with sin. We continue to struggle with old patterns of behavior. But more and more as the Spirit works in our lives, we come to hate the things we used to love. The way this plays out, right, two kinds of people, has a lot to do, Paul says, with what we do with our minds. Did you catch that in the passage? Look back with me at verse five. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Do you see Paul's repeated use of the word mind here? Paul is saying the, the, the life you live has much to do with what you do with your mind, what you give your attention to, what you fixate upon what you cultivate in your life. When Paul uses this word mind, the the word that he uses is not just sort of our brain, but it has to do with our fundamental orientation to life, the core attitudes and convictions that drive us. John Stott in his book, Men Made New, captures it well. He says, it's a question of what preoccupies us, of the ambitions which drive us, the concerns which engross us, of how we spend our time and our energy, of what we concentrate on, of what we give ourselves up to. But I think it's really important for us to recognize that the life we have reflects the thoughts we think. The things we think about, the things that absorb our attention, shape the lives that we live. So we need to be very careful To examine what we give our minds to. Paul says you can give your mind to the things of the flesh, or you can give your mind to the things of the spirit. So, what preoccupies you? What ambitions drive you? What concerns engross you? How do you spend your time and energy? What do you concentrate on and give yourself up to? I've said before, I'll say it again here, we must pay attention to what we pay attention to as though our lives depended on it. Because they do. The kind of life that we live, Paul says, is dependent on what we give our attention to. So two kinds of people, two frames of mind that give rise to two patterns of life. Look back at what Paul says there in verse six. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And when Paul says here, the mind governed by the flesh is death, I think that he's talking about more than just the end result, more than just the destiny of those who live a flesh-dominated life. I think he's saying this way of life is slowly killing you. It's choking the life out of your soul. It's living in that spiritual destitution and defeat. It's being dominated by patterns of thinking and patterns of behaving and patterns of relating that lack life, that lack joy, that lack contentment, that's slowly choking the life out of you. This is where the mind of the flesh leads to a a death-like way of life. Paul talks about the way in which this expresses itself, what the, the, the manifestations, the deeds, the acts of the flesh look like over in Galatians. In Galatians, he discusses this, this uh, tension between flesh and spirit there, and he describes the, the form of life that the flesh gives rise to. He says in Galatians five nineteen 19-21, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, distractions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, I hope you don't hear that list and think, well, I haven't practiced witchcraft in a while and I haven't showed up to an orgy lately, so I'm doing okay. And Paul's list is not intended to be exhaustive, but he's giving here examples of the the form of life, the pattern of life that the flesh gives rise to. And when you look in detail at this non-exhaustive list, you find this pattern that is really uh, the the outlook oriented toward the self, the life dominated by the flesh, that kind of comes into two categories, the selfish desire for control and power and the selfish desire for pleasure and so suddenly we have to examine our lives a little deeper and say, does anybody struggle with the selfish desire for control or power or selfish desire for pleasure? It's been really interesting for me as I've gotten closer and closer to this sabbatical, um, beginning to actually see something of the spiritual discipline that's part of this you know for for a while approaching this it was like ah oh, i'm so excited i'll get to take a break i'll get to rest i'll get to be with my family and so all the positives were what i was really just excited about the closer it's gotten the more i've come to realize that means i have to relinquish the illusion of control Now, I know you guys are gonna be in really great hands while I'm gone, our leadership team, our elders, our preaching team, and some trusted friends that are gonna fill the pulpit. But but for me, as a pastor, just to recognize, I gotta be able to release it and walk away and trust God with it. And i found that's a lot harder to do than just playing out in my imagination. To actually do that is, in fact, a, a spiritual discipline. Because I have a tendency to be turned in on myself and have a selfish desire for control. Anybody else be able to recognize the way in which these patterns of selfish desire for control and power or selfish desire for pleasure play out in your lives? This is life governed by the flesh. But Paul talks about the contrast to a life governed by the spirit. Back in verse six, he said, um, Uh, The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Um, These are two really rich New Testament words. Life, zoe. This is in contrast to the term that, that also means life, gets translated to life, the word bios, from which we get our word biology or biological. That is biological life, your heart beating, your lungs Breathing. But Paul doesn't talk about that kind of life. He talks about zoe, this rich, full, abundant, succulent kind of life that Jesus came to bring. Jesus said, I've come, that they might have life and have it to the full. And Paul says here that a mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Another rich biblical word that that talks about not just absence of hostility between people, but, but wholeness, harmony, flourishing, delight, peace with God, with others, with yourself, with the world. Paul says, a mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. John Stott suggests that more people would passionately pursue a life of holiness if they realized that the path to holiness was also the path to life and peace but that we don't realize that, that, that there is no other path to life and peace except in the pursuit of the life of holiness. And this is what Paul gets to further on in, in this passage down at the bottom in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will die. Live. Paul talks about killing the sin that so easily entangles us, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. The old Puritan writer John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And this is so true. Be killing sin or it's gonna be killing you. It's gonna be choking the life out of you. And so if we wanna experience life and peace, we must pursue the path of holiness and be doing battle with sin in our lives. And yet, please note what Paul says. He says, it is by the Spirit that we put sin to death in our lives. That we cannot overcome sin. We cannot overcome the flesh by means of the flesh in our own power, in our own strength, through our own ability. It is the recognition rather that we desperately need a power outside of ourselves that's stronger than ourselves, that's stronger than our sin to come in and empower us to kill sin in our lives. It is the power of the Spirit. Resources available to us that we have to learn are there and how to access. And so how do we live with a mind governed by the Spirit? Right? If there's two kinds of people and two frames of mind and two patterns of life, Paul says, you choose. How do we choose life in the spirit? Well, two words I wanna leave you with. Aware and surrendered. Aware and surrendered. Paul says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you, inside of me. Then why don't I feel like it? Why don't I experience that power more and more in my my life? The reason is I'm oftentimes oblivious to the reality that the Spirit is here. I fail to pay attention. I give my attention to so many other things rather than paying attention to the reality. Holy Spirit, you are here with me. This is why, friends, it is desperately important that you give attention to what you give attention to as though your life depended on it, because it does. We have to cultivate an awareness. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let me become more aware of your presence. Awareness and surrender. This is just the recognition I can't kill sin in my own power, in my own strength. Fighting the flesh by means of the flesh is inevitably destined for failure, leaving me in that place of Romans 7. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Rather, living a life surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't. You can. I surrender when we find that familiar tug toward the flesh, when we find that temptation towards sin, we acknowledge, God, I cannot fight this myself. I need your strength, I need your power, I surrender. Spirit, teach me to hate what I used to love and to love what I used to hate. Teach me to walk the path of holiness, which is the path to life and peace. Teach me to kill my sin so that it won't be killing me. Teach me to live aware and surrendered. I don't have to live. You don't have to live. We don't have to live destitute and defeated. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you if you have put your trust in Jesus. And so this morning, the reality is that there are some who are here who are living lives that are spiritually destitute and defeated. You have resources available to you that you may not know about or know how to access. Those resources become yours when you put your trust in Jesus When you acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what the Bible said he did, which is to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the price for the sin of the world for your sin and was raised from the dead to secure for us the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And this morning, you can have access to the power and presence of the spirit in your life by trusting in what Jesus has done. And for those of us who have trusted in what Jesus has done, are you living by the flesh? Are you living by the Spirit? Cultivating a sense of awareness and surrender. Living into the victory, the liberation that is ours through the presence and power of God in our lives. Walking by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in these moments of response, each of us would examine our own hearts before you. To see, Lord, if there be anything in our lives that we need to to bring before you this morning. God, I pray that if there are are people who are watching online or who are here in the room this morning who have never placed their trust in Jesus, that today might be the day that they would say, Jesus, I, I trust you, I believe. I want your presence, your power in my life. I want the promise of forgiveness and the hope of life both now and for eternity. I trust you. And God, if there are any here who have trusted in Christ but whose lives are being dominated by the flesh, God, would you bring conviction to our hearts? Would we confess the reality of our sin? Lay it before you knowing that we would be met with your grace and your forgiveness and the power of your spirit to live in freedom and in victory. We need you desperately. We pray all this in the name of Jesus.